0: So my, my interest in wine in your part of the world began in the late 1980s when I was in my 20s, uh, uh, when a colleague gave me what she said was a very precious bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon from South Africa.
1: Do you remember uh, I admit, the producer?
0: I, I, I do not. <laughs> I wish I knew. But, you know, it, I kept it for three years and then I think we, we drank it at Christmas one year, I believe, anyway. So you know so that was one thing and then now in the last 3 years our oldest daughter has traveled to Johannesburg and Cape Town several times she works in the microbiome and that has has created a great interest in our part uh, to uh learn more uh, yeah. about your world and uh, and that's why i contacted you so awesome. Awesome. um so maybe Tanasha is that the correct pronunciation yeah you've got it right okay. yeah Tanashi, thank you. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself uh, for our audience and then we'll dive into your world. So tell us how you you ended up in the wine business, Tanashi.
1: So I'm actually Zimbabwean. Yes. So I moved down to South Africa in 2008. Then, yeah, did, you know, Finding my way to find jobs, and you know that on that time it was like really really tough to wait. Uh So I ended up working in a in a bakery, actually at a local yeah. bakery. Yeah. Uh, then eventually I found myself working in restaurants, and I was so fortunate that the restaurant which hired me had it was it was, it was up class. I think back then it was like in the top ten. It was new. But it came in the top ten in SA and they had a really lovely uh wine program, wine and beverage program. So they they had started a company called Let's Sell Lobster, which mm. was training like previously disadvantaged people, or like you know, people who ne- who never had hospitality experience before. So mm. we we were part of those kind of a guinea pig. Mm. Uh but then that's that's where the world of the culinary and wine opened up to me. I'd never, I'd never grown up in that environment. You know, we never grow up drinking wine or eating those exotic fancy dishes, <laughs> foie gras <laughs> and you
0: know, <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> like, no, <laughs> oysters and and stuff like that. So you know, it it was a, almost a cultural shock, but. You know, with with that curiosity to learn, I just took it upon myself. And luckily enough, I was at the same, I was at the right place where they were patient enough to teach us. So that's how I got into the hospitality and wine industry. And of course, you're kind of fortunate that there are people who kind of recognized the wine interest in me before I actually knew it. So they, they say, you know, Atinashe, we really think you you do well in this profession. There's something like a sommelier. Uh, that's where I start, started hearing the term. And like, you can actually study to be to be a wine professional. So I just got curious and looked through and I, I looked for the, uh, you know, the schools which were doing this this kind of certification. By that time, there was Cape Wine Academy and wrote myself through it. And, you know, I started venturing into the studies and I moved on. To go and work at the one and only hotel, which was just recently opening. That was two thousand and nine, and the whole world of wine opened up to me. They had a big cellar, I think six thousand bottles strong there. Oh wow! And it, yeah, you're meeting all these people, fancy celebrities from the world, and you know, we had Gordon Ramsay's restaurant on the other side, mm. we had Nobu on the other side. So, <laughs> you know, it, the, the, the learning just grew even more. Uh, And now I was more immersed into the South African wine industry, meeting wine winemakers, you know, sales reps, and tasting quite a lot. And yeah, during that, I remember in 2013 I I entered into a competition like the the best hotels in in South Africa. Uh, I think then were 15 hotels were competing into this interhotel hotel rising stars, and you had to get a wine steward and a chef and I was the inaugural winner, best wine steward of that year. So it kind of put me on the radar in terms of the South African wine industry. Yeah. And I got a position in Durban at the Oyster Box Hotel, worked there for a year and a half, amazing place, uh, more curry than anything else. Then I came back to Cape Town, uh, working at the test kitchen, uh, And I think that's that's where everything started to happen really well. You know, Test Kitchen at that time was, I think, twenty eighth best restaurant in the world. It had been best restaurant in South Africa for like six years in a row. And it, it again, it was another different, interesting environment. But then I got introduced to the finer intricacies of food. Then there was a Nobu. So I spent two years in the Nobu restaurant, the Japanese style restaurant.
0: Mm.
1: And yeah, it was just, just, just quite, quite interesting, especially the cuisine. And I fell in love with Japanese cuisine. So in, that, yeah. in 2013, that's when I entered the Inter Hotel Challenge, which was organized by a local uh, magazine. So I think there were like 15 hotels at that time. And yeah, I was the inaugural winner, best wine steward. So it kind of put me on the radar in, in, in South African context. And Oyster Box came knocking, which is in Oumkianga uh, Rocks in KwaZulu-Natal, Durban. Okay. Then I went there. I worked for a year and a half. Uh, then I came back to Cape Town to work at the Test Kitchen a restaurant in Woodstock. Uh, and I think when I when I joined Test Kitchen in 2015, the 28th best restaurant on the world's 50 best. Uh, that had been the best restaurant in South Africa for the past five years. So it, it was quite a mm. challenge and, and a good experience. I'd never been in that environment of, you know, fast paced. And, you know, the spotlight is there. I was responsible for the beverage and, and uh, program and wine pairings. Uh, and luckily, you know, with, with, with success in the first year, 2016, uh, the restaurant was ranked, what, 22 best in the world. And actually on the local scene, I won the Eat Out, which is the best, uh, restaurant guide locally. I was the best, uh, wine service award. So it is quite really interesting. So. So yeah, that's, that's that's been my introduction to wine and hospitality, and obviously, eventually, when I was at the test kitchen, I, that's when I started my own wine brand, the Kumasha wines.
0: Right. So th- that is what really attracted me to contact you and and say, hey, let's talk about this. I I, I found the Kumasha brand, the 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 wine and the aesthetics. Have not tasted it yet, but. I found the, yeah. the 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 look, the aesthetics beautiful. The, the work you did on the colors, the labels, um, so I, I assume that the wine is a, is an expression of your experience over as you yeah. described. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So why Kamusha? Why the labels? What what, what made you brand it that way? Why, why that? I think the journey kind of starts where,
1: uh, you know, if, if I might put it this way, I would I'd say, Kumosha means your home, your roots, uh, mm. or your origins in, in my local language, the, the Shona language of Zimbabwe. And, you know, like when I left Zim and came to South Africa and got introduced into this culture of food and wine, I really embraced it, but somehow I could never relate it to my upbringing or relate it to to our culture in in a certain way. And for me, when I was doing the studies, wine was was intriguing. But again, it was daunting and it was like really, really made no sense when I'm supposed to be smelling blackberries, raspberries, you know, black currants. And I never I didn't even know what a black currant looked like. You know, I I'd never I'd never eaten one. But then when when I'm studying, I'm supposed to smell this. So, so that part didn't really make sense for me. But like when you're coming into this culture, you don't know what's good, what's right. You are almost like, okay, maybe I should be expecting that. But now with, with time, I started picking up my own, you know, on, on taste, on on smells. And it it so happened that I was was associating these smells with fruits and and, and herbs. I grew up in Zimbabwe, especially in my rural home at my grandfather's place. So it it came to a point where during my studies, you know, you were giving these blind tastings and you have to tell where this wine is from, what what grape it is. So I'd come up with a whole vocabulary of my own indigenous fruits I was used to. Then kind of reference them to to the European way, so for instance, I'll pick up maybe a uh, smelly berry, which is which is a tsuvu in my Shona language, and for some reason i I related it to a to a black currant so for instance, if I smell the wine and the red wine is in the glass and I smell uh, that smelly berry or tsuvu, I'll be like, okay, this is a Cabernet souvenir, definitely because I'm picking that up." But on the notes, I'll write the European terms, blackberries and stuff, stuff. Then I'll, I'll, I'll nail my, my testing exams and I've always had distinctions. So for me, it, 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 it you know, it really made sense. I was enjoying it, but I never <laughs> felt like it's, 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 you can actually use those terms until, you know, by that time, the Zimbabwean community had grown in South Africa, in Cape Town, And most restaurants had like Zimbabwean professionals working in wine. And when we were doing tastings and all of us started to throw up these terms of what we grew up eating and what we used to to pick as fruits, we associating it with, with wine. It like really made sense and it made us more, it made us to enjoy wine more. So for me, I was like, okay, this is like what we're getting so it also came through when I was reading a a book by Jonathan Nozietta. It's called Liquid Memory. Uh, and, and there's a chapter he referenced where he says, you know, we always talk of wine of origin as where the wine is, being, is coming from. You know, you smell a wine, you'll be like, no, this is a Burgundy. This is a, a Rhone Valley wine, or this is a wine from the Mosel. But you can only reference that if you've been to the area or if you know. But then again, he says, you know, sometimes wine of origin is... Where the wine is taking you, you know, wine is about memory and association. So if a wine is is reminding you of uh, this fancy party you had, or it's reminding you of this place you've been, that's another wine of origin. So for me, I was like, if the wine is taking me back home, I might as well call it home.
0: <laughs> what a what a terrific story! That's that's great. Yeah. And I, I, again, I I think the the aesthetics, the branding are are just. Yeah. So the it's branding impressive.
1: came about. So 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 my original label actually had a cause I was like, okay, I'm calling my wine Kumosha, but if if I had to take a top wine from France, high chances are they're putting their own beautiful uh, chateau on the label. So I just said, okay, no, I'm just gonna put my my grandfather's homestead. So I had a picture of his old, old old star homestead and it did this rendezvous with cows and chickens mm-hmm. running around. <laughs> then the new label, I kind of changed it because I felt theron was, was good it was It was almost like a uh, it really made sense in an African way. people would relate to it, but uh I just needed to make it a bit more classical. So I put all the elements from my from the old label I put it in the new label. So when you look at the new label now, you've got a picture at the center, which is me. I was standing behind my grandfather's home at a a mountain ledge, looking over the valley at his fields. Uh, So that became a focal point. And you've got the protea flower on top of it, which symbolizes the South African national flower. Uh, You've got some flame lily on the the bottom right and left, which is the national flower of Zimbabwe. Then you've got some swallows flying, which symbolizes me, you know, moving between South Africa and, and Zimbabwe. And you've got the great ruins of Zimbabwe running right, right around, and you've got the small little huts in the center. So it, it
0: just became a story and a journey. So how long did it take you to develop the brand from the time you decided to create the wines? Uh, how long did it take? Uh, to, so to it?
1: so it, it was a combination of, of everything, to be honest, Jim, because... Initially, I always had that entrepreneurial spirit in me. It was just inborn. I always wanted to, to have something with my name on it. Uh, and, you know, I go back to my notes, which are like six or seven years, and, and the idea was there. Uh, but I never knew I could bottle wine until uh, I went to business school. Uh, so UCT University of Cape Town was doing a wine business management. So I went through there. Then it, it was kind of a, of a hard moment where one of the, the assignments they gave us was one of the business model I had in mind and I'd been trying to convince a lot of people and they didn't believe in me. So so for me, it, it was an awakening that this could be a, a proper thing. But I think for me to to get the brand in the bottle was the confidence I had got as a sommelier working on the restaurant you know you're always recommending wines and you know the styles of wines you know the 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 taste people want you know you almost like you you almost profile guests against uh, according to their taste profile you know what I mean so I had that experience and over the years, I'd also been judging wines. I'd gone to a wine judging academy. So I was judging for almost every local competition in South Africa. Mm. I was being invited to judge. And I'm now judge for Mundus Vini in Germany for the past three years. So I had the judging uh, experience of, of really what quality is, you know. Then I had a bit of the business side. Uh, so when, when I realized this opportunity to create a brand, I was like, you know what, I've got the Acumen, so I might as well go for it. So I released the brand in 2017 with only probably 1,200 bottles. And this year alone, probably we've bottled the excess of uh, 50,000 bottles. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> wow. Wonderful, wonderful. And okay, so let's, let's turn to food since you have a great deal of experience. So yeah. what what would be you know give us a a good dinner let's say we're coming up on the holidays in the states you know Thanksgiving Christmas New Year's all these things what what would you choose to take one of your bottles of wine what what would you make what would be the food that you would uh, you would prefer to serve yeah. with um, with commercial
1: So for me I think so when I started, like it, it just it's quite, <laughs> quite interesting. So I went to my boss, who was who was the the owner and, and chef at the 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 test kitchen, and I was like, you know, I need to I've, I'm coming up with my brand, and this is what I want to do. And I was like, you know what, you should do it, but I'm just gonna give you one advice: uh, make sure the wine you're making will work at the test kitchen because if you can sell it anyway then we can use it on our tasting menu. <laughs> so 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 my 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 personal wines so I have I have what six six wines in the range in, in different tiers like the entry level you know the mid level and the and the and the top tier. So the top tier I depiction of my personality. These are the wines I enjoyed drinking. These are the wines where my palate was really modeled. And these are the wines I really make with, with food in mind. Uh, and for instance, the, the flame lily, I remember, it's the first time my chef really created a dish for a wine. And if you ask asking for a dish, and I'll, I'll always go and reference that it was a scallop dish. You know, it was wrapped in pancetta, uh, grilled. It had this uh, cauliflower made in three different styles. There was the, the toasted cauliflower, which was like, Toasted in, which uh, was deep fried in oil, then you had raw cauliflower, then you had cauliflower and cheese form. Uh, it did this lovely sauce of capers, uh, lemon, and a bit of garlic, black garlic. Uh, so it's, it's, it's the most complete dish for me. So I think if you were to have a dish, just make a, a version of with anything with cauliflower, uh, scallop, bacon, or pasta would work well with that the white blend I produce, which is the famed flame lily now. And for the delicate red, I have this lovely Cabernet Sauvignon Cabernet Sauvignon Cinso wine, which is more about elegance than power. Uh, lovely acidity, and that I'll really go with a venison dish. Uh, maybe add a bit of red cabbage somewhere uh, or lovely beetroot sauce. Really works well uh, with some liver stuffing, you know to yes. bring that umami and that thickness yeah
0: great that sounds delicious <laughs> excellent so let's let's talk about some of the journeys that you might recommend when people can travel again freely as as we became used to so as you as you're thinking about finding grapes and and visiting vineyards um where, where should people go in uh, South Africa and, um, you know, maybe Zimbabwe, uh, If there's wines there as well. Where, where do you recommend that, uh, Tanashi?
1: Well, in South Africa, you know, the, the wine capital is obviously Stellenbosch, but you know, it, it becomes too touristy, uh, <laughs> which some people may like. <laughs> right, but if, right. if, if you're, if, if you're a tourist like me who goes to a country and avoids the touristy place, I would, I would right. recommend going into the Slangook Valley where I get my wines. Uh, it's just an hour and a half outside of Cape Town. Uh, beautiful people. It's just so welcoming. Uh, and the wines, there are great. Uh, Obstow, they've got beautiful cottages now. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a great place. I would highly recommend in terms of a wine experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, it, and is it something?
0: Zimbabwe... Oh, I'll go, sorry, go ahead.
1: And if you're going to Zimbabwe, well, there's not really wines of not to talk about, uh but I'll really recommend uh the Eastern Highlands, especially Honda Valley, uh, if you're interested in coffee and tea. Mm. Uh, I just visited there two weeks ago. It's just an amazing place. Uh, Bountiful foods: bananas, pineapples, lychees, coffee, tea, and there's a lovely lodge tucked away uh, in the bush called Aberfoyle. So, if you're in Zim, I'll definitely recommend that.
0: Great, thank you. Um, and what about the uh, the obscure wines and in, in the arc of your career? You know, at least when we've traveled, it, it's always been a Uh, A pleasure to encounter a small winery, where there's one or two people (laughs) and whether it's high in Argentina or maybe in Spain or France or Uh, South Africa or you know where United States, wherever you you always learn, at least I always learn something. It's quite interesting. So have you encountered some of those and if so where? Yeah, for me I think, you
1: know, he's not mainstream but he's, he's, he's made a name for himself in the guys who really follow the South African wines. And I think, and uh, some, some of my inspiration in my wine, especially the white I get from him, his name is Chris Arlite. Uh, and he makes beautiful wines under his name, Arlite and Suzanne. Uh, Chris and Arlite's, uh Chris and Suzanne Arlite. Uh, so they're they making their wines mostly in the Hemel and Ada region. Uh, but now they've bought a little little property in the in the Swatland. but he's making like really beautiful wines and at the moment his wines are really sought after and you can get by allocation but he's a very good guy uh if you can find out his wines as well
0: thank you okay. let's turn to talk about business a bit um in the states, I think. There are 41 states here where winemakers can ship wines, roughly, um, to people directly. So I can go to their website, go to an app, and I can buy wines, and it will arrive in you know three or four days. I can belong to a wine club, and I will receive wine once or twice a year. Um, yeah. What is it like in your market? How how do you you know can you do? I see I see you have a link on your website buy online. So so what's possible in your world, Timeshi?
1: Yeah, so it, it that was one of the most challenging parts in when I especially if you if you're a small brand, uh, yeah, distribution tends to be a nightmare because especially mine, which was not in the mainstream. So I can't right. really get into retail. I struggled to get into restaurant trade as well because by that time I was also working in a restaurant and you know, people kinda Feel this okay? You work in a restaurant, so there was a bit of resistance. Uh, so I, I just tend to, to to social media and the website, and I used to sell my wines directly. Uh, and which is which is still an issue in SA. I haven't really cracked the the whole mainstream market, to honestly say. So most of my wines have just been direct sales, or a few wine clubs I'll sell to, or a few you know independent wine shops boutique shops i had relationship with so it's, it's 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 still a challenge in sa to be honest uh i haven't gone mainstream i would love to but hopefully in the in the in the near future but so i've just been concentrating on really export uh, like the wines have been doing well in the united states like you said i've got my distribution uh Baobab wines who are based in Colorado, have got uh, also distribution rights in almost like 50 states. So Mm -hmm. at the moment in America, I think I've got my wines in probably 16 or so states, Massachusetts, California, New York, uh, Oregon, uh, Washington, D.C., and Mm -hmm. Missouri. Uh, I think recently Georgia as well. So... Yeah, and the rest is going to Zimbabwe and a bit into the Netherlands.
0: <laughs> interesting, interesting. So um, so I, I can buy online in the States, is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, okay. I think we, we're pretty much p- p- popping up, but I'm not sure where, how, but I know in New York, we fully covered California. Okay. Uh, okay. Colorado, I know we fully mm-hmm. covered Oregon, like I said, Massachusetts, yeah. and Atlanta. Well, that's that's, uh, the, that's the, only li- the only The only limitation it has is I don't have enough for, <laughs> for everyone. So, for instance, New York would have just taken all what I
0: had, but just we had to like allocate. Right. And uh, and how about uh, other parts of the market? Is it is it difficult? You know, there was a controversy in the states a few years ago when one of the major Wine and wine distributors was trying to um, control merchandising in some of the large um, r- grocery stores, the the food stores mm-hmm. in the states, and mm-hmm. and um, obviously they would be a, more of a gatekeeper than to other distributors and other brands. Um, and some of that has happened, some not. Some states are tightly controlled, some are not. Um, you know, how is it in in South Africa and Zimbabwe? Let's say if you you want to be in restaurants or you want to be in in retail stores how how easy or difficult is that to actually
1: yeah it's just really especially in south africa it's 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 difficult firstly you're, you're a young brand you don't have that much financial backing so in south africa you get people buying restaurant uh list so you, you pay a listing fee in some of the big oh. uh you know, yes. you have to buy retail space in you know, a retail, and you know you had to get signed up with a distributor. So it's it's to be honest, in South Africa, I haven't had that much success in selling my brand, other than selling directly, which is not big mm-hmm. volumes. Uh, mm-hmm. Then across the Limpopo and Zim, I my first first attempt with a distributor didn't work well. But the one I've just signed up, it seems to be good because I think over that side, they kind of control the the value chain in that they have restaurants and they've got a retail space as well. So that's the success I had over that side. And the same with uh, the U.S. But in South Africa, it's it's just, you know, you never celebrated in your home, actually. You celebrate it. (laughs)
0: That's right. A prophet has no honor in their hometown. That's right. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So, how about 5 to 10 years from now, what when we hopefully have this conversation again, what, what will have happened? What are your what are your goals with the the brand and the wines uh
1: Yeah, obviously I'd love to really grow them steadily and and for me the Kumosha brand especially to this part of the world, it's 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 bigger than I always say, you know, I'm selling wine because I, I really need to make a living, but <laughs> yes. the, whole, the whole idea about it is, is, is real transformation. You know, in South Africa, we talk of transformation and, and empowering, especially the, the previously disadvantaged Blacks. Like for me, I, I, I look at Kumosha as a blueprint. You know, I started this from zero from nothing you know I didn't borrow anything I didn't have uh, you know my grandfather or father leaving any money for me to start this is a spin I'm a first generation businessman yeah—and so for me it's just a vehicle to inspire other young people or other people around me and you know it's good enough that the brand is really appreciated and grows big but I want to have also a financial aspect to it. You know, it doesn't make sense if you create this commercial, which is being celebrated, but it doesn't have that financial, uh, financial change. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, it's, I also want to control the value chain of my brand. You know, I want to be involved in production. Like I am now, I want to to own my distribution channel, you know, also the retail space or restaurants. So I think Kumosha is a vehicle for me to do that. So probably in 10 years' time, I would love to own a few restaurants. Uh, I would love to own my own distribution network in, in South Africa and then going into Zim. So and it, all of it is just employing other people to get,
0: you know, to get a fair share. Is there a certain price point for wines in in your market that uh, you know that you wish to be part of, or what 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 is the you know for a bottle of wine what is the price point in South Africa and Zimbabwe and and where, you know, yeah. versus so, Europe or the US? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So at the moment, you know, I I really had to make that three tier just to get three different price points. So. My entry-level souvenir Blanc and Cabernet souvenir in Zimbabwe is probably lending at retail at $7. Uh, in the U.S., retail is probably uh, the same one is $18. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Europe, I was checking is, is probably around uh, £7. Okay. Then lo- locally, my list retail price is like 105 runs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in excess, it can go to what my top top wines in the US just under thirty dollars. In Zim, it's like around eighteen dollars, sixteen pounds in Europe, and in South Africa, I sell them for like hundred ninety rand. Oh
0: wow! Yeah, Yeah. interesting. Are are there, you know, you mentioned owning restaurants and uh, controlling your distribution, which are fantastic. I my wife and I were in Walla Walla, Washington, in July, and uh, there are quite a few vineyards around there. And it, it's interesting; they have sort of a retail um, space. Yeah. There are several that you know you kind of walk downtown, and uh, and they all have their little tasting rooms, and and some restaurants, and event rooms, and all that. So, you know, is a is a restaurant the best way to build the brand, or is it? Are there other things you could do? Um, to grow your business, or is it really the food combination to uh, Tinashe?
1: Yeah, I think it's 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 pattern pass. I think it enhances the brand. Uh, and and for me personally, like I said, Kumosha is just part of the brand about Tinashe. I'm I'm into food. You know, I love food. I love <laughs> yes. I love wine and there's Kumusha coffee coming again because my grandmother grows coffee in Zimbabwe, so I've started really investing in the land. Uh, this year, we're planting 300 more trees to to like really increase the production. So for me, I think it's it's a combination of all to make the difference. I, I don't think I'll make a difference only selling wine as Kumusha, but I think the whole combination of restaurants and retail and you know, it makes an impact, a bigger impact, because you're controlling your your death. You're not in the mess of uh, retailer or distributor. I think,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I think that's uh, that's wonderful, and I, I very much appreciate your time uh, telling your story and also giving us a, a bit of a look at uh, where you want to go with commercial. Uh, that's uh, we'll close with a recipe discussion. You mentioned the scallops and pancetta uh, and the cauliflower and then a venison dish. Do you have any recipes that you might share? Well, it's it's
1: pretty much complicated recipes, but I think (laughs) if you're just going classic, if you can make a lovely beetroot sauce or wine jus, grilling Mm. the venison. And the red cabbage, usually I like it a bit smoked, so maybe you just throw the whole cabbage in, in fire. And you almost mm-hmm. like roast it until it's cooked and cut it nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually like to make the, the liver, uh, just, you know, roast it in a pan, deglaze with some sherry vinegar, add all the onions and and, and make it like really dry. Some bit of breadcrumbs mm-hmm. in there to add a bit of crunchiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then and if you've got some licorice dust, just add in there to add a bit of that lovely sweetness in it. And yeah. then the, maybe the cauliflower and, and, and scallop is quite complicated because you have to like blitz a lot of cauliflower, raw cauliflower with a, with a cheese mm-hmm. and the parmesan mm-hmm. cheese to get that lovely consistency. Then, you know, you, you kind of shave the, the the raw cauliflower into like thin slices. Mm-hmm. Then in, in, mm-hmm. in like oil, like you're making chips, you throw them in, they become literally like rush, crunchy. Then you put them on the side. So the the salad you kind of mix the raw cauliflower. You have this uh, toasted cauliflower. You put some like thinly sliced, uh, maybe, what do I call this? Is spring onions? Uh, mm. Sprinkle of lemon juice in there. Just like toss it up to give that lovely lemony. Then you have also the the caper salsa. Just capers bit of black garlic, uh, just toss them up together and mix in the salad. Then the scallop, wrap it around pancetta,
0: grill it in
1: a pan, and you've got your dish there.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this podcast created by Amuse, the app for explorers.